Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to Get Connected with Nina Del Rio, a weekly conversation about fitness, health, and happenings in our community on 106.7 Light FM. Good morning and thanks for listening to Get Connected. While so many of us take it for granted, we have a laptop or desktop computer to work, to study, and we're connected. There is a sizable digital divide between white adults and other adults. Why are Black and Hispanic adults less likely to have computer and broadband access and what is the impact? Our guest is Cal Hedigan, the CEO of Community Access, a nonprofit working to close the gap in digital access for vulnerable New Yorkers. Cal Hedigan, thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. The website is communityaccess.org. It's an organization that's been around for nearly 50 years and works in many different areas. I thought we might, might just begin with an overview of who your clients are and what do you do. Great. So we're a mental health organization. We started off in 1974 um, as a housing provider for people who were leaving, people living with mental health concerns who were leaving psychiatric hospitals. And today um, we have over 1,500 units of housing across three boroughs. Most of that is permanent supportive housing, but we do have some transitional housing for people who are coming out of psychiatric hospitals. And in addition to that, we offer some other services all geared towards helping people living with mental health concerns live their best lives in, in the community. So we have a psychiatric rehab program. We have a peer training program to help people um, with mental health concerns, join the human services workforce. We have residential a residential crisis support center. We have an art collective. We have five mobile teams who work with people who are experiencing homelessness and mental health concerns, helping people connect people to services and housing. That's a sort of snapshot of what we do. I'm like, sure I've forgotten a few things. <laughs> I like, as you describe it, though, you talk about connectivity. People are trying to connect to jobs, to connect to services, connect to, to healthcare, all kinds of things. The digital divide in general. A 2021 report from the Pew Research Center found that 80% of white adults report owning a laptop or a desktop in comparison to just 69% of Black adults and 67% of Hispanic adults. You're working with a very specific population. What kind of access and divide do you see among your clients? Um, specifically in terms of um, the people who live in our supportive and affordable housing programs, people, they may never have had a smartphone, you know? Um, and they, so, so understanding how to use a tablet or a laptop or a regular computer is something that, if it hasn't been part of your day-to-day -day lives, it, it's it's a real, like even just gaining the skills when it's something you do very rarely, um, it, it's hard to make it something that sticks. So we have, in all of our programs, we do have computer labs where people can access 
our own, not, not their own computers, but we might have four or five computers in a building that are available to them. But we don't have, um, up until before we got this grant, which I'm going to talk mm -hmm. about, we didn't really have the resources to help people sort of bridge the skill divide. People really need hands-on technical assistance and training to help them bridge that gap, to make it part of something that they can just do without thinking or without having loads of cheat sheets. There's there's the device, and then there's also connectivity. So, you know, you leave the city and rural areas, you know, sometimes broadband is spotty or non-existent if you're in a really rural area. But even in the five boroughs, there are neighborhoods that are still lacking affordable, dependable internet connection. Why would that be in New York? I think New York City hasn't, this is an expensive, <laughs> an expensive proposition. And New York, I, New York City hasn't made enough investment in broadband connectivity for everyone. So for example, we have some buildings where there might be some floors even where you can't get a cell signal. You know, like I'm thinking of a particular building we have on 172nd Street, just off the Grand Concourse. On the 13th floor of that building, I can't get a cell signal. Um, in the same way in some of our, you know, there are programs we have across the city where it's just um, hit or miss. And so New York City hasn't thus far made the commitment to broadband as a utility in just the same way that electricity and old time tele telephone service was. It's like, we're gonna make sure every household has these things. And so we have work to do. Um, and some of it is for um, the city to do, and some of it is for providers like us to do. We're gonna talk more about that in a moment, but let's remind everybody who we're speaking with. Founded in 1974, Community Access is a pioneer of supportive housing and social services in New York City for people with mental health concerns. Our guest is Cal Hedigan, CEO of Community Access, and a conversation about the digital divide. The website is communityaccess.org. You're listening to Get Connected on 106.7 Light FM. I'm Nina Del Rio. Cal, how was the problem then of lack of adequate devices and connectivity really made clear during the pandemic? Oh, it was immediately, <laughs> immediately evident because we were an essential service provider and the expectation was that we would we would pivot to remote service delivery in many cases. Obviously, we're all, we were always going to be available for in-person when needed, but remote service delivery doesn't work without devices. Um, and so at that point, early in the pandemic, we had to, we provided 600 um, phones to people, um, participants across our organization. And we made a decision at that moment in time that they would be flip phones and not spark smartphones because of the learning curve that we didn't think people, this was not the moment where we could, we could um, with remote teaching, we couldn't help people bridge that gap. But it was very clear as everything shifted to you know, psychiatric services, medical services, all of these healthcare services shifted to virtual service delivery that people were left out um, who didn't have access to devices. So in addition to phones, we would have tablets that people could borrow. But again, there was such a learning curve and a need for teaching and training um, that it, it was just so clear that more resources needed to be put 
towards this. It's a really interesting thing. I mean, you're just trying to get the basics, right? Maybe you can't have a Zoom appointment with your doctor, but you can call them, you know? What are the sort of the far-reaching consequences of not having access? It just leaves people behind, right? In these basic life areas, right? So you can't get a job today if you can't fill out an online application. You, you know, you can't like enroll in a education program if you don't have computer literacy of some kind. And with so much, you know, one can argue about the value of social media, um, but it is a way that people connect, right? They connect with social support. So if you, if you don't have any kind of device, um, you're left out of these important um, aspects of our society. So in a sense, this sort of fell on your plate. I mean, you decided to make it a priority at some point. Can you talk about this grant, you received a $250,000 grant to provide personal computers and technology to people in the Bronx, Brooklyn, and Manhattan. Can you talk about the program and how many people will that serve? Definitely. So we were very lucky to get a grant from an organization called the National Digital Inclusion Alliance. So their name says everything, right? This is about inclusion. Um, and we're partnering with another wonderful organization called Computers for People. Um, and together with them, we are going to do a number of things. We're gonna be able to provide um, devices that is PCs or laptops to 300 people. Um, we're going to improve um, the Wi-Fi in two of our buildings so that Wi-Fi is accessible throughout the building for all the tenants living in those two buildings. The 300 people who get the computers are also going to get a personal hotspot. So they will have um, unlimited data access um, for the period of the grant. And then Computers for People is gonna be able to hire a digital literacy coordinator who's gonna be providing technical assistance and training to help people learn how to use and, and, and maintain the skills so that they can um, actually benefit from the digital resources. So you're gonna help hundreds of clients directly. If, if you think about the universe of people in New York who could use this, um, the connectivity, the, the computers, how many people do you think that would be? If I gave you a number, I would be like just guessing. Yeah. Um, but I know that like it's significant, the number of people who don't have broadband access in our city. So it's the access and the device, you know, one doesn't help you without the other, but I'm sure there are tens of thousands of people across New York City who are lacking in adequate access to really participate in, in our society. And that includes all the kids, right? Like who were like trying to remote remote learn, you know, without adequate infrastructure in their home to support that. Across the five boroughs, um, maybe you've seen them too, those link 5G towers have started popping up on sidewalks. And it's funny, the conversations on, in the press so far have been a little bit about how ugly they are, but they are there to hopefully bring high-speed internet to areas that, that lack it. Any thoughts on those? I think anything that brings <laughs> it to areas that lack it and, and that is you know, that we can do now is incredible. The question then is how do people pay for 
the connectivity? And is there going to be a citywide initiative to make this more affordable, whether it's through like making it highly subsidized or completely free for people who do not have the income, like to add this additional expense to their monthly expenses? Because expense is part of the issue too, and credit checks are part of the issue as well. Yes. And, you know, the most of the people who live in community access housing um, in terms of our supportive housing units are, are on some sort of public benefit. So they may be receiving um, supplemental security income, which is essentially living below the poverty line. And every every dollar counts. So while for some people it might be, oh, it's $30 a month, that is prohibitively expensive. Um, for someone who is using every every dollar that they get for their basic needs. So what can someone listening do to help you with this work? Well, we're always looking for friends and supporters of community access who can help like bridge the gap between what it costs us to provide services and um, the money we get from foundations and, and, and government institutions. This grant that we got um, is for $250,000 to reach, you know, the 300 people with their own devices and uh, maybe 200 people with the Wi-Fi in the two buildings. So that's that's great, but even within our universe, you know, there are another 1500 people that we could serve if we had more funds to do it. As far back as I guess it's 2016 now, the UN declared that digital access should be a human right. I think that's true. I mean, I do think it's like electricity. It's like water, right? And if we want, if we want to have, and healthcare, if we want to have an equitable and inclusive society where we're not leaving people behind, this has to be understood as a fundamental human right because it's a basic human need in terms of, in terms of participation in so many aspects of our society. Cal Hedigan is the CEO of Community Access. The website is communityaccess.org. Thank you for being on Get Connected. Thank you so much for having me. This has been Get Connected with Nina Del Rio on 106.7 Light FM. The views and opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of the station. If you missed any part of our show or want to share it, visit our website for downloads and podcasts at 1067lightfm.com. Thanks for listening. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.